Hello, it's April 24th and it's my birthday. I wanted to get on a new episode and tap in with the Idea Fountain community today on this special day. I'm Julie Pilot. Thanks so much for listening. You can always help me celebrate by sharing the podcast or leaving a review. Recently, I connected with Poe. As a huge music nerd, I was, of course, familiar with her music from when she was taking alternative radio by storm in the mid-90s and really considered a defining voice of a generation. Back then, MTV would put her up next to, like, Alanis Morissette or Gwen Stefani. Even though I knew her songs, I didn't know that much about how she came up in music or why it seemed as if she disappeared. Poe reached out to me to build on music, community, and the future of Web3. We became instant friends. I was floored to learn she started in music with a hip-hop icon, and also really inspired by her ability to flow into tech when a bad record label deal all but paralyzed her music career. Every single time we talk, I feel like I understand the future just a little bit more. When planning this episode, I was torn as if we should call it resilience or flow. We both agreed that resilience can be a tough badge to wear because it focuses on the hard things. In the end, I chose flow, but the conversation gracefully flows between music, tech, and community. And to kick off a little bit more about resilience. I D A F O. This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. I mean, I think it is an important moment to stop on and say like, wow, resilience is actually such an amazingly great word. And why would, you know, I mean, I think part of it is just like, this is what's so exciting about just now in the world. I mean, I really do think it's the most remarkable time to be alive. And there are so many things that need to be fixed and so many unbelievably tragic things happening right now. But at the same time, the little hope aspect is I have just never seen in my entire life this amount of creativity, connection, community, innovation, like everywhere. It's like everybody's like, without drugs, totally on psychedelics, inventing, 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 and kind of letting go of a lot of expectations. Like, I feel like there's a promise right now of that the smallest, most authentic things can have a real value. And I think that's like allows for infinite generosity. You know, when people are so hungry, if you're so hungry or so shattered or so robbed or so violated, it's very easy to stop being generous, you know, and all of these things are being invented, all these tools, all these DAOs, things we've talked about. I mean, I know I'm all over the place, but like, you know, where, where these ideas are suddenly going, like reassessing what's valuable and saying, wow, this thing that this person does has, has an enormous amount of value right at this moment. And that value can actually matter and be real, not just like, oh, thank you very much, you know, can be survive, give you survival, you know, (laughs) That's tremendously amazing. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating too, because as we were talking about resilience being equated to weakness, I think similar, it's the thought of, you know, crying can feel weak, right? And um, 
both can maybe be equated to feminine energy and everything you're saying is leaning into the feminine balance of the world. And it's funny to me because there can be such a pendulum swing and I don't know what triggers it, right? And uh, I think it's just interesting to acknowledge when you first came upon my radar, there was such a pendulum swing with women in music. I mean, in the mid nineties, it was unbelievable. Not only the Lilith Fair going on, but you were also um, often compared to Alanis Morissette or Gwen Stefani was coming right on the scene. But I think it's even interesting with your music, thinking about what was happening with Massive Attack or Garbage and Shirley Manson. And there was such a swing of the pendulum to women in music having so much power in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a re remarkable period of time. I mean, one, I, I do I do think that it was it was part of it was that I believe if I'm right and I don't have, I'm not like looking at data, but from what I remember, it was it was it was a moment where in the music business is one of the first times that a like something like 50% of the senior executives were women, which was really unusual. And I remember the first time I walked into Atlantic and I met like all these the like amazing women. Susan Swan was there doing PR over there. I mean, no one would know these names, but like I can list off like 10 badass women, you know, and I had, you know, spent time like, you know, as we all have like sort of exploring other areas of the world. And I had never seen such a concentration of like amazing women. So I do think that there were very real women sitting in these labels at that time that really brought that moment on and gave people like me a chance that were not, you know, kind of, I guess we, we in that moment, we just weren't modeled towards typical male gaze, I guess. You know what I mean? We weren't walking in like, you know, in, in some, we weren't kind of packaged by men. We were kind of like being raw and making our own music and being experimental. And suddenly that was getting mainstream attention. It was really remarkable. Well, and there was respect for art. Like I look in the history books and there's so many people I love that I don't think get the respect they deserve. Like at the time, Natalie Merchant and 10,000 Maniacs were yeah. so cool, right? And now it kind of seems like adult contemporary music. But it was it was edgy back then and it, it was it was really fun. So give a little bit about to Kim Gordon sub pop, like you know, Sonic Youth. I love Kim Gordon. And yeah, you know, I grew up in Seattle, so the music scene there was just so vast. I used to, it was funny when we first connected, I said instantly, I have thoughts of playing you on my college radio station because I actually used to have a show called Girl Squad. <laughs> and I played all women. No, now. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, I still have the playlist. I have all of it. But uh, it, was, it was really such a fun time. I, I want to go over a little bit of your origin story in music because even though I I'm almost positive I saw you live at that time and I knew your singles I never I'll be really honest like in the 90s growing up in Seattle I didn't know who Jay Della was I probably didn't know until I moved to LA and not to sound 100 to people <laughs> listening but the internet existed but we weren't really using it <laughs> well I was using it you were using it. I wasn't using it. But I was using it just to to qualify that on a modem. 
like from the bottom of like, you know, libraries and these like giant machines where you would wait for like 10 minutes to even like get the hope of a connection. So I say that, you know, in, in, in like, you know, qualified that it doesn't really even count as the internet, but it was still profoundly important at that moment, at least to me and my friends were just like, oh my God, we can like talk to some stranger in LA. Like that's the craziest thing in the world, you know? Well, I, I always, I always laugh. It was my first day at college at UW and one of my friends from high school ran up to me and said, Julie, you have to come to the library. There's this thing called Netscape. We can look up any band we want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an amazing, amazing connective tool that again, reminds me very much of now, you know, because it was, it ultimately, you know, resulted in these weird little communities that were more on the old BBSs, like message boards that are a lot more like Discord than they are Facebook. They're mm -hmm. very sort of dedicated kind of tightly knit communities which would form kind of overnight. And that was magical because then you were, you were not interrupted by ads. You weren't, it was so completely sincere, all of it. Um, but you know, I mean, the Jay Dilla thing is worth is worth visiting because it, my my entire musical real. I mean, it's such a weird thing. It's like I, my my whole journey is so bizarre because I have kind of a programming back background in in computers, and I was kind of part of a, you know, in a small way contributed to a team that was trying to write you know music software for the next computer, which was Steve Jobs's failure, yeah. right? And then after that chapter in my life, I ended up going to um, Detroit and it was a very strange thing. I was kind of, my dad had passed away and I was in LA and I had, I literally looked up at the sky and said, what do I do next? And this um, t-shirt blew up onto a balcony that said Detroit, Michigan. I'm not kidding. Mm. And so I was like, who do I know in Detroit? And I knew this one guy who, whose cousin I had met in a club in New York and I called him and he was playing a song of mine, a demo. And he said, come to Detroit, we'll do stuff. And I landed and one of the first people I met was Jay Dilla and we ended up going and crate digging. And he, at this point, to give you an idea, was making tracks on cassette decks. He didn't even have an MPC yet, right? So he was going tape to tape, you know, and, and literally like grab like, you know, like hand me that Ahmed Jamal, go to the second track, like three bars in, grab a home, right? Go to the next one, something off something else, you know, like Mother Nature, like like crazy eclectic thing. And in no time, he had a track that I kid you not, didn't need a crossfade. It didn't need a mix. It sounded as banging as anything you would possibly ever hear anywhere else on a tape deck. Wow. And it was just a mind-blowing moment. And I stayed there for two years and just was, it was the most inspiring kind of scene I'd ever been in. I kid you not, like everybody spoke in rhyme all the time. The That community was kind of growing up out of gangster rap and really starting to immerse themselves in this extraordinary culture of everybody's record collection in Detroit and focusing more on jazz and just the art form. And they really played samplers like instruments you know it's it's just it's remarkable what i what i watch them do and it brought things out of me that i i could never could never have happened without that community which points again to the importance of community that like anything that happened in me came out of me 
like when I recorded the song Hello, the whole entire thing was an ad lib. But that would like one take off the top of my head. And that's because every single day I was kind of required almost to just communicate in a completely new way, which was just in rhyme all the time. And having just lost my dad, it was just the most inclusive, amazing place I'd ever been. But when that was done, right, the record industry as it was then really didn't have a place for me, certainly in urban and hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. So I the only category was sort of alternative, you know, which was okay, we can handle these kind of hip hop beats, but she's, I mean, frankly, white and she's doing this thing. So I'm over there. And in hindsight, that's kind of sad to me, you know, like it, it was very hard to kind of, it's a very strange thing because I, you know, made a particular kind of music with, with my own particular background. It was like a mashup but there wasn't any place for that to really exist that was inclusive. Well, and more than ever back then, right? Because you had to go through all the gatekeepers. It was either on a specific type of radio station, signed to a specific division of a label. And I mean, now the iPod generation just says listen to everything, right? But when you were investing in a yeah. CD back then for $17, you went for, you went with what you knew, which was generally something from the genre you listened to. So there were a lot more boxes. Yeah, it's true. It was, it was a lot, a lot harder to sort of just in a way collaborate. And I think that that's, again, another thing that's so magical about now, you know, and is going to become even more magical. Like I really believe the music industry is going through like a healing phase, you know, because I think like the idea of even the way music is made today, like tossing files around from one person to the next, right. When those become trackable, you know, there's this freedom that's going to set in that someone can participate with something like I, you know, know a lot of young musicians and they're like, you know, they, they share everything they do all the time and they upload it to SoundCloud and all these servers, you know, moving towards a little bit of the blockchain conversation, like, you know, and imagine when those samples are actually trackable all the way through, you know, the provenance of those, it gives you the freedom to actually never have a the finished product doesn't matter. It's the process. And isn't that like what we all want is to really treasure the journey and not feel like we have to encapsulate ourselves in like one shareable moment? You know? I don't know. I'm so conflicted. And I love having this conversation. Like, I do agree with what you said. Somebody I know who is very prolific said the future of the music business is in less than 15 seconds. So yeah. I believe tracking different elements of songs. But I also have such a strong connection to the relationship with music there's there's a young woman in music that you would love her name's mickey shiloh and she's got a subscription record label and um i listened to that oh you did i love it which i meant to also tell you i was i was able to listen to like two and that one i love and the and the cookie flur does that's sweet but uh thank you but mickey we have this debate all the time because she really believes in creating every day messy action and releasing things right and i get it as an artist you need to peel the onion and just let things go and connect with people but i also have so much respect for music that i know the first time you hear a song is different than the fifth time or the 50th time and the 500th time. And if you're just being bombarded with so much music, like I kind of like 
the curation from an artist for an album or like you know, there's so many artists that come to me and want to send me 30 songs and say, what do you think? And I'll, I'll be hesitant because I'll say, it doesn't matter what do I think. What do you think? What is the most important song to you and why? And let me live with that. And I'm really missing that. Well, what's funny though is I think what I'm in is actually something a little bit different, which is just that like, I'm, I'm with you that, that the artist's job is in fact to make the difficult choices. That's where an artist can show me something, you know, wow, I never think of putting those two chords and that moment becomes important, right? Um, what I'm talking about is after that, the fact that like, cause coming out of hip hop where you can make incredible music by sampling other things, to me, I sort of felt like, you know, it's like, we have we have just decades and decades of like paints being mixed and now we have these things that can play all of those records and that become they become the sounds in the instrument which which you know eventually it's like i mean whatever you can talk about that at nauseam as well but but the main point being that i could give you my most special piece of work that i've just really made all these beautiful choices and captured these moments that really what I see it as a compression program, what you're talking about, which is like, how, how could in poetry, like, how could I share 20 years of knowledge with you in one sentence? Right. That's what a great poem does. Right. It takes out all the noise and says, this is the thing I have to tell you. Right. And I think that you're right. Like to me, that's the most important thing in the world. But I also want a kid to be able to come around and say, ooh, what if, just like what Jay Dilla did, like what, what if I can just take this part of that and turn it into this thing? And what if it's just so easily trackable and the provenance is so complete that we all start just relaxing and allowing for this constant reinvention? It's, it's just that. It doesn't make the original work less sacred. It doesn't mean the kid who mashes it up using pieces of another song or another idea is necessarily has to be sloppy about it or just iterate all the time. I think that's terrible. I agree with you. You know, I'm kind of a Zen person generally. I really am like more, the older I get, the more I'm like, I want five things that create like a counterpoint in my world. And I want to have like all the space in between them. And, um, you know, but, but I do love the idea that the smallest thing can have a trackable value. I think that that's just incredible, you know? So I'm very excited to talk to you about the technology piece and we've already started a little bit, but, um, as we talk about your origin story in music and what you did in Detroit now, was that after you went to college? Because yeah. there were some tech relationships while you were in college, right? Yeah, there were. <laughs> um, yeah, there was. I mean, if you go all the way back to my origin story, I left home at 16. I lived in a squat on the Lower East Side. And um, I mentioned this to you. I we kind of had a tokenized economy. We we made fake subway tokens for the whole for I lived in a drug free squat full of runaway teens. And they were all really crazy interesting. They reminded me of like every Dow today. There was like a 14 year old Marxist who like organized everybody, kind of like the little dog that chases all the big animals around on a farm. Like this was a guy who was like 14 and he like chased giant people with like, you know, mohawks and piercings and tattoos and was like, you know, you had to stand watch every night. You had to do cooking. Like you had to provide something within that community to live there. And it was one of the magic, most magical times of my life. And I applied to a bunch of different schools because my dad was an immigrant. And before the family fell apart, he was from Poland. He really 
took us to see like the good colleges, right? So I applied and I had good SAT scores. So I applied to Princeton and I got in. And one of the first people I met there was Joe Lubin, right? Who founded Ethereum. So, you know, th there that by itself is a story that like, you know, there are so many facets of that story that are so much more interesting to me now after everything that's happened um, that I want to find a way to share in a in an okay way, like with the permissions of all involved, you know, but it was really, really an amazing experience. And there were a lot of interesting, um, I don't know, there were interesting ideas floating around at that time that sound exactly like the foundation of all blockchain. There was a professor there named Manfred Halpern who did a course called personal and political transformation, which really has all the core ideas of everything that's happening now. Um, so that was wildly important. But I also at that time, I mean, to be fair, was a, was a very, very difficult adaptation for me in that school. And it still blows my mind when I look back and think to think of the fact that like women had been there only for like a decade. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, when you think about our history, there just really isn't that much distance between the progress. It's like, I remember going to South Africa for the first time as an adult. And while I was standing there realizing apartheid had only, you know, ended 10 years ago. And uh, like, there's been so many changes in our lifetime. You know what I love about your story is I think I grew up such a rule follower, you know, yeah. I really was. And you're told this, you know, there's this this story that if you study hard and you work really hard, then you can go to an Ivy League school. Right. And blows my mind even still to think of you being this runaway in a squat on the Lower East Side and then just applying to Princeton. Like, I love that. It just it just really shows anything is possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely it definitely does. But I'll say in a way, I, and this is, again, how like how little it really takes to plant a seed. You know, if somebody that you respect, like, kind of points you in a direction and says this is really important when you're young you know and they might be wrong too it's not always you know yeah. the right path but you know i have all kinds of problems with like parent parents and all of that like everybody else but i do i am very grateful for that that immigrant passion that my dad was like you know stoically sort of took us to see these schools and said you will be educated you know and i remember like leaving home and being like I just had this sense that the whole world would fall apart if I didn't go to college. Like it was this fundamental belief that my dad had sort of instilled in me. And I think things are very different now, you know, like there, there are so many options to learn, you know, but it's just the drive to do the thing that is challenging and the thing that I, mean, I couldn't even imagine. I've like applied from a public high school in Utah. You know, that's where I was at the time, you know, and then I left to go to New York, but, and it was tough when I got there too, because I wasn't a prep school kid that had any training, writing papers, you know, the way you're supposed to at all. Um, I mean, I had a public high school education, like I said, from Utah, and like the longest paper I'd ever written was really my application there, you know, but again, the hacker side of me, and I say that as a, you know, as a wannabe really, <laughs> like I'm not want to give myself too much credit was definitely like 
school was kind of amazing because I would look for ways to like not do the thing I didn't think I knew how to do. So I, and I got away with a lot, like, like I had a course on Shakespeare and I kind of wrote every paper in sonic sonnet form and I got away with it because it was entertaining. Do you know what I mean? It was like, um, you know, so, so I don't know. I mean, it was, it was actually a pretty wildly great environment. I, I was blown away by just being exposed to all these ideas, but at the same time, it was tough. Like the, it was tough to kind of find a place there. And the odd thing was that I think, you know, there, there were a lot of pathways I could have taken. And, and oddly enough, like my choices led me to, you know, Detroit. Right. And there was there was just a level of love there and instinct and inclusion that I never felt at this very good school. So I learned a lot of things cerebrally there, but really where I found my heart was in Detroit. You know? I mean, I've only been to Detroit once and it was magic. It's one of those places that when you set foot on the soil, you just know how special it is. And it's funny as you talk about community in the future, what I felt when I left Detroit was I wish that we could invest in cities or neighborhoods like you do the stock market because there's such a rebirth happening in Detroit with the local urban farms and the amazing food scene there right now and uh, there's a lot of just really cool businesses and I wish I could invest in that rather yeah. than everybody saying invest in like a pharmaceutical. You know what? I think that, first of all, that's a genius idea and we should just create that in the next 48 hours and start it because it's actually possible now. Like, that's freaking amazing. You know, I had like, like uh, that sparks an idea in me because I, I learned through a friend that a lot of problems with these sort of, um, with kind of traumatized neighborhoods in America, um, I'm thinking one in particular in Florida that I know well, uh, is that you have a lot of people living there that generations ago the proper paperwork wasn't done so the taxes weren't paid so they live in this limbo of the fact that the government hasn't kicked them out but they don't own it mm. that's torture there should be enough laws that and and at any moment so they're like you know at any moment the government can come and say hey you own all these taxes you got to get out of here but yet you're living there in this place that for generations has been owned by your family you know, so you don't want to leave because you feel this sense of ownership, but you feel this terror that it can be taken away from you. Like that's something that just has to be put to an end, you know, and that's a beautiful idea to like invest in even making the tax payments on these limbo houses, you know, and, and investing in them because there's no question those neighborhoods, were, some of them are in really great areas, like 10 minutes from a beach. Wow. You know? Like, why wouldn't you want to actually give that person who owns that property a chance to do something if they actually owned it you know and without fear which they deserve because it's been in their family forever like i'm constantly just blown away by like missing paperwork like my the, the most horrible things that ever happened to me in my life because like one box wasn't checked properly you know and that that stuff really gets under my skin so let's get to that. So if we skip ahead a little bit yes. you know, to the point that you are a successful touring musician, I think I saw some statistic like you played 600 shows in two years, you yeah. had singles on the top of the charts. And then I think um, amidst all the 
consolidation at the time, right? Like both in radio and records, the industry just started shrinking. There was the AOL Time Warner merger with your record label. What happened at that point? I got my con, I was signed to Atlantic through a uh, kind of like a middleman, like a, like a small label, um, mm -hmm. a label called Modern that it had Stevie Nicks on it and that's it. And um, they basically sold their interest in me to a Texas oil guy. And so I woke up one Which day- Which is insane. Yeah, it's horrific. And the worst thing about it is that the, you know, again, the contract that I had signed, you know, with this guy and with distribution through Atlantic had so many things in it that are actually like just wildly illegal, right? Mm -hmm. But the music industry was not gonna enforce that because the music industry actually is in the business of having to do business with a product that is a human product. And they, there was enough of knowing that this human may need some basic human rights in order to function. You put that same contract in the hands of an oil guy, there's none of that awareness. I mean, it was literally like a heyday. And that's where, you know, like I said that, the, the most poignant moment to understand how predatory it was, was when, you know, they basically asked for all my diaries, you know, like literally like from like six years old, because I talked about them in interviews or how I write songs or this or that. And they say, we want them cataloged. And one of the guys would come over and like, cause I thought, well, maybe this could work, you know, when I found out I had new owners, right? And they came and visited. And then they said, all of all that you have is collateralized under this agreement and it belongs to us. And that includes anything you've ever written. And that's insane. Like that borders on feeling, this is a weird thing to say, but like some past life stuff. Like it's hard to believe that this has happened in the last 25 years. But see, to me, it's funny that you say that, but I, I think it happens all the time. Like, I just think it's, it's, it happens all the time. I mean, I think there to, to this day in this country, the amount of people that are silenced by strange bureaucracies. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm picking a moment that's so obvious, but it, it's it literally like the process of even understanding what was happening at that moment. And there, there, there are just so many interesting stories to tell about that whole journey. But ultimately, it boiled down to this one thing, a violation of saying like somebody saying, I am entitled to the thoughts in your head. You know, and I think that that's a story. I'm sorry. I, I think it's the same as what Google is doing to people's world. And I love Google in a way, but it's gone too far. You know, mm -hmm. everybody, the imperialism has moved into people's houses, into their phones, into their private relationships. And so much data is being harvested from people's stories, you know, and that's again, going to the NFT and blockchain. What I love is that, you know, there is this moment happening now where I do think the the most valuable thing that blockchain can add is just just the value of this sovereign person and saying that my data is mine and if you're going to use it i mean if i technically if i write a book i'm supposed to have rights over that well if i'm walking out my door and turning left and going over there and eating that that's my story you know there should be a royalty for you know, and, and I also think it would just solve so many problems. And I think it's happening. You know, I really think it's happening. I, I think the whole world is moving in a direction where, um, you know, people will with their data, you know, depending on the level of responsibility that they want to take, plug into systems and plug out and they get to exist and define their own 
their own boundaries. And I think it's quite a natural state for people to be in. I think it follows nature. Like I have a private self and a public self, you know, the closer we become, the closer I bring you into my private space, but that's a natural process. The fact that we exist as these kind of atoms bouncing off each other and can make all these wonderful things together by virtue of the fact that we exist independently is amazing. You know, nature is decentralized. It really is. It's completely decentralized. Over-centralization is always dispersed in nature, always. And it's a natural compression wave. It's happening, you know, version, I don't know what, of democracy, you know? I mean, think about it. It's kind of going back to what it was. In, in Athens, democracy was non-representative, which meant all everybody showed up to vote. The jury could be 300 people, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this happen inside of DAOs. Like, where kids are like, let's all be represented. Like, it's, and it's being innovated again. And the tools are saying, okay, we can actually give everyone a really valid identity. Um, and there's so much work to do. I know it's chaos. It's mad, psychotic chaos. And it's going to stay that way for a while. Um, but I think the, the, the fundamental thing that the earth needs to be healthy are going to be helped by this, 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 this return to, of value to the, to the individual. So I love your point of view. And the reason we initially connected was you're really passionate about getting more women involved in the NFT space. And so I want you to hold our hand through some of the technology pieces. But I think it's important to note when you were in this horrific label deal, right, where your interest had been sold out, they're taking your diaries and you're just stuck. How did you persevere, fight it, and like get to the next stage in your journey? Well, I think, okay, to be completely, you know, accurate, the first I think I survived by a, a tremendous amount of disassociation, you know, like just fractured, you know, and and focused on the here and now of just getting through it. And I told myself, this is happening to me because I'm not going to like crawl under a rug and die. I'm actually going to fight this. And, you know, I learned a lot about fighting anything in a court system. Really, truly nobody wins. Um, So it took a lot of my time, but it's not like I didn't learn a tremendous amount, but the ultimate like healing for me. And I mentioned this beginning and you and I talked about it really was discovering meditation. And it really was that, like, I think what, what happens when, to anybody who's been just taken down to the studs, right? And and there's is 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 this sense of again a lack of ownership, you know? And suddenly having this, I love the phrase in the way that I learned to meditate, which is in, innocently favor the mantra, right? When don't chase thoughts away, just kind of like move your awareness to this thing. And you can leave that thing somewhat undefined, but it isn't associated to anybody. And suddenly you find that this thing that you think is nothing is actually a place. And it's a really amazing place. It's like super safe place. And in fact, you can kind of travel anywhere in the universe from there, as far as I'm concerned, right? And I always tell people like close your eyes and like imagine like the place your awareness on the space between your atoms. And you find that it's like, you instantly feel like pain goes away, right? You detach from this world. And I think like, you know, a lot of stuff that we do is fear of, death, right? So during the process of life, the things that happen that we consider bad usually destroy our sense of self, our identity. And then we think, oh, that's bad. But then you go, wait, but I'm still here. So what is this thing that's still here? And I think there was a long period that I really started, it started to turn for me where I was like, 
wow, I'm not any of these things that I was or that I thought I thought I was. And yet I'm kind of still here. So let me not actually move anywhere. Let me just stay here for a while in this nothing place, right? And that, I guess, you know, per the words you brought up at the beginning, flow, that's really where that comes from, you know, because it is more a lack of attachment to anything where you just kind of can let go quicker and quicker and quicker. And I mean, so did you feel like when you let go, well, two part question, did you feel like when you let go to an attachment to the future, that more opportunities or abundance came your way to free things up versus you trying to control it? That's part one. Absolutely, 100% yes. But I also feel like the whole idea of opportunity really changed, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, again, you really make the shift into every experience that hap is happening is an opportunity to sink deeper into the moment, you know? And by the yeah. way, I am not saying that I'm really good at this. You know, this is something like, these are mo moments that I've had that were extraordinary, but they're plenty of moments that I'm like driving myself fucking crazy or depressed or full of anxiety and terrified. But I do know that these tools work, that you can suddenly have a moment, wait, 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 just attachment, just literally let it go. Like I can feel it like a feeling in my stomach of like complete and utter fight and flight panic. But you start to build this like stairway where you go like, oh, I'm just literally leaving that there. Mm -hmm. and you feel it kind of leave your body and then you feel sort of light and then you can kind of go. So in, in, in answer to your question though, yes, but the opportunity actually comes from a shift in perspective and an ability to kind of like open to the idea that there are opportunities abundantly everywhere mm -hmm. and your fear was getting in the way, right? So you're sitting looking at the same thing that looked like, oh, a closed door and you suddenly let the fear go and the closed door becomes the best idea you ever had. And you suddenly think to maybe call someone or say something differently and boom, opportunity. Only because it's always been there. Yeah. It's so interesting from a really elementary level when I learned how to meditate and I've done transcendental meditation. It was about 10 years ago with Light Watkins and that place that you describe, I just have to say, if somebody's not a meditator, I don't ever feel like I've levitated or like gone to another planet. But the way he described the place was imagine if it was your birthday and your best friend flew across the country um, to spend it with you. And you went out to dinner and you showed up and there was a surprise party for you. So there were all these other people at the party. If they walked up to you to wish you a happy birthday, you wouldn't just block them out and say, I'm only with my best friend. <laughs> you would acknowledge them, kind of keep an eye on your friend, make your way back to it, talk to some more people, make your way back to your friend and just still be with that safe space. And, you know, he said, your friend is your mantra and these ideas are going to come up, but you always make your way back to it. So that was a very grounded example that he gave me. The second part to my question is, and this is a meditation question, you know, I went to the training and I know there is advanced training. Did you ever do that? No, mm -mm. I didn't either. No, I just... It's funny. I, I felt, I felt like, like the kind of, again, this association thing that I felt like this one mechanism of having this friend, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, 
and having that as every and and this teacher sort of being in you that I kind of felt like I just I just really didn't it was like this one thing that I didn't want really too much more input on do you know what I mean like I sort of felt like it was my way of right or wrong without judgment watching where this was going to take me you know and sort of not really wanting to be guided and maybe there's that thing about like you know when you're ready the teacher appears so maybe the teacher hasn't appeared for my advanced training yet you know but my my personal kind of like inner voice said just take all the time you want to see where your own inner guide is leading you you know and i i do have profound mistrust of authority you know and and so for me to trust someone to take me to that next level i mean i think the first part of my healing might, might not even be over do you know what i mean where it was like someone said like you can have this thing and it's all yours and no one can take it from you and you're not going to be violated do you know what i mean that the day is like such a was the most healing thing that had ever happened to me you know yeah I, I'm thinking about meditation and I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, but I want to surface something just because I can feel like I can talk to you about it and you would get it. It's funny. I have been noticing that I'll go to sleep. I haven't been remembering my dreams at all, but when I first wake up in the morning, fear and anger, you know, or the things that have been bothering me that I could spiral on will come up. But then when I meditate, it all clears away. It's like a shower. But I wonder what that is. If you're like, your body's releasing those things at night when you dream or I don't know. But it's funny that the meditation like wipes the slate clean. I mean, which, which, which yeah, it's like a magic superpower in that way. The fact that like, there's actually a way to sort of like, just let go of it and have it like go out with the garbage, right? Yeah that might be connected about remembering your dreams like i always like dreamt really lucidly and then i went through a phase that i think was trauma induced do you know what i mean where i stopped dreaming and i would wake up just like you said but i found that like if i woke up with even the biggest taste of a dream and i went right back literally to the same physical position i was in frequently the whole dream would come back and if i could do that the fear and anger didn't come Mm. right so maybe there's something about like, maybe there's something like, I've done different things in the morning of like, you know, forcing myself to do that second sleep, like get up and then no matter sometimes, I mean, if you can, like how long it takes, but to really like make yourself have that second, like I worked a long time to like not do the snooze and now I'm a hundred percent about the snooze again. I'm like, that's where all the dreams come back to me, you know? Yeah. Because you go kind of like you stay on the cusp of that consciousness and then you're like, oh, my God, now it all came out. I did dream. It was like this crazy lucid thing that happened, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know. But I think it's also natural for anybody who who cares about anyone else in the universe to wake up with fear and anxiety. You know what I mean, so. You know, speaking of fear and anxiety, you went through this legal battle and there was an end point, but through it, what I love is 
you always continued to lean into your artistry, right? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe there was a point where you were like, I'm cooked with this contract. I'm not gonna be a musician anymore. I'm going back to computers. Or did you always feel like an artist? And then what was the bridge to leaning into more tech? Well, um, first of all, I, I, I kind of never differentiated tech from music anyway. Like that's important, you know, um, first and foremost, even beyond tech and music, I think I'm a storyteller and a poet. That's really what I am. And that can happen in different languages. Programming is a language. The 12 notes of a piano is a language, um, different computer programs from Adobe to blockchain are languages, you know, so I think that my drive is really poetic, you know, it's, it's like finding beautiful symmetries out of chaos that can sort of exist or things that go together that create beautiful harmonies and that can sort of be in any field and i think part of that is just i'm a product of the times being that we have all these tools now so we can go in these different directions right um but i kept going and i mean the observations that i would make were was kind of like well the music business really doesn't have anything to do with my process do you know what i mean like yeah you know what I mean? Like whether anybody like gives a shit about me today or tomorrow or yesterday or, or in the morning or at night, like it, my process stayed the same. It was a survival mechanism that I found a way to exist when I felt like I didn't. And that started very early in my life, you know? Um, so that process really never changed. You know, I, in terms of, uh, you know, there, there were a few things I was very lucky about. Number one, um, I did have, a, I, I was not allowed to make any revenue through any revenue stream. Like if I got a job at Starbucks, it was all collateralized under this agreement. Yeah, it's crazy. That is, and I mean, how do you even survive? It's not legal, but if you can appeal a court case long enough, then you keep the person tied up that long, right? Yeah. So I created in a vacuum and I did develop some really bad habits. Like I was scared for, there were like two people I would ever share a title with after that of a song. Cause I thought, Oh, if I lose this, then they'll come after everything. That's like a horrible way to live. When I think about that, I get <gasps> literally anxiety must meditate, <laughs> but, um, but there were people that would hire me for cash to do like things like uh, edit people's drums, like do occasional shows there. Were, I couldn't be paid anything. And so that was extremely helpful to do like private shows for, you know, parties or sometimes corporate things, but never always under a different name. Um, I even released things for a while under Jane with different DJs, things like that. Um, and then I fell in love and started and, and helped this person start a digital agency, which did a lot of projects that really kept me interested. Then I didn't, you know, like I wasn't on any of the paperwork until the court case was over. So I kind of lived like a refugee again. People, I'm not kidding. Like I would meet people on corners and they would give me like envelopes full of cash. It was crazy. I remember like there was one guy named Stuart Bird that would show up and I was like helping to edit drums on some major records. And, and he would show up on the corner in West Hollywood and we would get a coffee and he would give me like an envelope full of cash. Like it's just crazy how that happened, you know? It's, it's, it's bizarre. And it gives me a lot of empathy for very, for, you know, far more trauma, traumatized, like immigrants and refugees that are suddenly don't have the paperwork to work properly and all of those things, you know? So I, I was still in my, you know, in my own way, very, very privileged, but it was still kind of a big deal. And then 
you know, that that whole kind of digital services world was really interesting to me because it kept me connected to the things that I loved, right? So there were, we did projects with whatever, like I helped to make an, an app with DreamWorks that was like basically an early TikTok that sold to Yahoo. And then I, we did, one of my favorite projects was actually just a simple app that let kids see the, the magnetic fields of magnets. Mm. you put it over and you actually see what's happening and it moves with that and um that like upped attendance and like science classes and things like that but you know I just kept recording hundreds and hundreds of songs like I always had my gear you know and and although there's a story about that being collateralized too and that we replaced the entire my entire studio with stuff off eBay and well I shouldn't even say this stuff out loud it still scares me to say, say this stuff out loud but anyway long story short um and then you know during that whole thing a lot of exploration into crypto was beginning you know and, and that, like what year was that would you say I mean I I experimented early I would say like 2013 i was aware of it much earlier and i definitely have a lost bitcoin story of like you know having lost a a, a, a storage wallet in the early days and like you know just try kind of transacted experimenting with it but i got kind of freaked because there was a lot of kind of shady stuff and i, I did get kind of scared off the whole space for a minute and then you know then it became again the conversation started to become more innovative and like getting involved in like mining a little bit and nodes and like understanding how those things were working and just the culture around that I really loved because again it was like early internet culture like it was very open source it was very share information if someone was interested in it they were going to tell you everything they knew about how to do it mm -hmm. and that that is so not the corporate world you know so that 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 was also like sort of a community building thing that again it's not like I'm the best at it, but I just have such an enthusiast, you know, heart for the information that I, I made a lot of really good friends and yeah. And so that kind of was like going side by side. And then, you know, I mean, a, lo a lot of other moments that matter, we had a client come in that, um, this digital, I don't even know what to call it. I hate digital services. I'm going to come up with a better name because like we've renamed everything else. Right. But back then that was sort of what you called that. And, um, that one of the clients had a wife who was a fan of mine and they kind of like offered me an obscene amount of money to go do a show. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Cause I said, well, I, I don't really have a band at the moment. And then I did an audition and had a bunch of really great people show up for the audition, which was fantastic. Like mainly like just kids who were like great musicians, but they played my shit like really, really, really well. And they were kind of like upgrading my software in my head musically. Like there's a guitar player, I love named Martin. And, you know, we'd be in rehearsals and I'd like look at him, is that cool? And he'd be like, no. Nah. <laughs> and then I'd be like, is this cool? He's like, yeah, let's do a do that. You know, and I was like, this is the, most amazing, cool, like experience I've ever had of just kind of getting, I don't know, schooled by these younger players, you know, but then anyway, but then I saw things in them that I was like, oh, you know, like just play. And they were so formulaic of like, I've been trained to play exactly this. And I was just like, just yeah, be a cheese ball, like just like solo for like half hour, you know, what are you talking about? And then I felt like, you know, you would see them suddenly get out of the cage and start running and be like, yeah, just like, 
stop trying to put everything in a pop song. It doesn't matter. We'll get there, you know? And that was fun to kind of be part of feeling like I could inspire people a little bit that way. I'm giving myself some credit. Martine would probably be like, you're useless. But anyway. Um, I love though, when we spoke, uh, it was really interesting because on the Idea Fountain before, I did sort of an NFT 101 episode where we oh. talked about blockchain, how to get a wallet, um, <clears throat> different kinds of cryptos, what an NFT was, how to buy one. And when we started talking, we started talking about the future. Like I loved what we started talking about, reminded me a lot of what we've talked about with ying and skill sharing and uh time credits right you were talking about like the notion in the pandemic of nurse coins and and i'm just curious for people that are like getting you know more interested and want to participate and know where the future is going but it still seems a little bit like a fad or a little bit intimidating what do you want people to know Mm. especially yeah. as you leaned in with me and saying you really wanted to encourage more women to get into the crypto and nft space and why well first of all it, it is it is i i think you know almost the best way to describe to to, to share something very simple is the the potential that it has to transform how we quantify value, right? So the nurse coin idea is just that, you know, why, what if you had to pay for nursing services during the pandemic with nurse coin instead of dollars, right? And let's say there's a limited supply of nurse coin that becomes suddenly like the most valuable currency on earth, like more valuable than gold, right? Mm -hmm. And the intention is not to make it impossible for people to pay for services. The intention is for nurses to see an upside of being the most valuable player, right? Um, the workers at Amazon, you know, there, there is, there are, our system is just like with all the technology that we have, our systems are so primitive, you know, there is so much room and potential now, which I think people are acting on, you know, to create nuance in our the way that we measure value, you know, and and it's 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 kind of ludicrous to think that like okay just because somebody has a lot of money right they have the ultimate access to everything right that's kind of ridiculous it's kind of like like if you're in an accident and you know someone has this but they're like you know a Syrian refugee but they were a doctor and they have the ability to help someone with, with a heart attack to say that suddenly somehow on paper, because they don't have the right paperwork, they don't bring enough value, right? right. Even though let's say they save 10 people's lives who go into cardiac arrest. This is a really good short story. Um, but uh, but the, the point being that like, I think that the future is going to, and there there's ways that some of this stuff could go wrong. Like nothing, no none of this stuff comes easy, but it's very complex but the creativity devoted to answering these questions, right? How do we actually measure value in a way that is far more comprehensive, you know, than what we've done in the past? Like we've marginalized most of the world, you know? It's the wealth is so concentrated in one place right now. And I'm not, 
I would say at heart, I'm kind of a libertarian. Like I want people to be free to pursue, but we have a system that's just kind of not working. It's like if you put the wrong ingredients in a, in a souffle and it doesn't rise, like it's just not rising. The souffle is not rising, right? And there are ways to fix this. And the beauty is that you have a lot of really brilliant people with access to a lot of tools. And when I say brilliant people, I mean 14 year olds on their computers, right? That are actually test driving democracy again at every level of like, how do we vote for something? How do we measure value? I think I measured, I, I measured, I mentioned this to you the other day, like one of the things I loved about the, the moment during the pandemic when Clubhouse became popular, which was that platform that you mm -hmm. go in and speak like pre-Twitter spaces was just that the older behavior was like, oh, someone gets verified on Instagram and then they get lots of likes and that's their whole world. The great thing about, you know, Clubhouse was you would have a moderator that knew something about something, right? Like maybe the music business, right? And they would be moderating the conversation. They had a little badge, but then like they would move over into like a room that was on like neuroscience and the neuroscientists would have the badges and they would be in the audience. And I thought that's healthy. We're, yeah. We all have these separate different, you know, talents and on one day you're important over here because you can share knowledge and on this other day you're the student it's a much healthier way to live to even more you know that yeah. that's magical to me and you know what is makes my head explode a little bit about the future yeah. that there are so many things that are so broken like you mentioned healthcare or like how amazing is this my yeah. kids elementary school is a social justice magnet but even with social justice there is so much work to be done yeah. and i feel like you know we've got one universe over here that is so broken climate change 240 anti-lgbtq bills put into legislation in the first three months of the year like broken 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 and then we're moving so quickly into this decentralized world you know and you were talking before about like hacking and all these people building the future and things that could go wrong like how do we even deal with life <laughs> yeah like will you we meditate <laughs> <laughs> There's like no other way. Meditation and an extreme sense of humor. Like, but this is actually going to your theme of flow, right? Mm -hmm. Is you can't, you, we really are in the weeds right now. Like you're, we're not going to be, we can try to zoom out all we want and have some, like, it's going to be this, but the, it's a very quantum reality. It's going to be all of these things for a while. Right. You know, the thing is to truly be in a flow. And, but I'll tell you that the chaos that is right now feels to me like the most creative moment in my life in Detroit. Like I said, where it was chaos. Everybody was speaking in rhyme, you know, like machines were being hooked up. We were sampling like the history of music. Nobody made any sense. This is like this to me globally, right? And yeah. I, we're facing the end of nation states, you know, like we just are, it's, it's over, you know, like, like to me, I think that, 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 one, you know, the idea that, that your banking can cross boundaries, which in the end, the end of the day is really, especially, I mean, we all, we all have a, a great deal of confidence that we're going to go to the bank and our money will be there. That's mm -hmm. kind of unusual in a lot of other parts of the world. You know, yeah. I'm uh, reading a really great book about serendipity, one of my favorite topics. So instantly when you were talking about the 
you know, whatever blew up on the balcony that said Detroit on it. I mean, I'm, I'm here for all of that. But, you know, one of the key factors of serendipity is putting yourself into different circles. So I love what you were saying about like the clubhouse exchanges and jumping into new audiences and new circles and just, again, the connectivity and all the places the future could bring us. Yeah. And I think to that point, again, you know, the sense of self loss of self is like, you know, really to do that, which is the most liberating place to be you really do kind of have to let the ego go because maybe you're the smartest, coolest person in this room, but you're like the dumbest idiot in this one. And mm -hmm. when you just really lean into that. Like, I love being the dumb idiot in the room that like doesn't know anything because then you're, and, and, and I do think that the general people generally right now I've experienced, I mean, there's a lot of toxicity, but I mean, maybe it's, it's a little bit generational. Like there is a lot of toxicity and a very polarized sort of political conversations that go on, but there is this underpinning right now of like, just such inclusive, like any question I could possibly ask, like I, I bounced around to all the clubhouses, like everything from like, even recently there was a, um, one that's been going on forever on clubhouse about Ukraine and people are just coming in there and like people that are there do you know what I mean ordinary people telling you what's up and then people that are like really highly qualified journalists and then they have conversations about verifying who they actually are and proving that to everybody but you know it's it's it, there people there's not a lot of hate like you there's not a dumb question like anything I ever wanted to know in any of those rooms there were 10 people jumping up to help educate me you know, right. that's awesome. And, and I feel like that is the, the culture that's coming, you know, that, that this is penetrating more and more and more and more and more. And I think in Ukraine, we're just seeing like such talk about resilience, just heartbreaking. Like there's so many beautiful things that I've seen people do and heard them say in terms of just standing up to bullies, you know, um, and it, I can't even, I don't even want to go into the level of sad that, that, that this whole thing is like any kind of act of violence, any one of them, you know, but this resilience is inspiring. And I think it's inspiring the globe. You know? So I could ask you 100 more questions, but I'm going to ask you two. One, after this conversation, would you say we should title this episode flow or self? What's your vote? I love flow. I do. I do too. I, I love flow. And I mean, maybe even though it is a bit about the self, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we conquer the self and go with the flow. Perfect. <laughs> and then secondly, um, where can people find you? Because you were telling me you have like um, an interactive or immersive artist experience happening in LA. Tell me more. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that my like artistry is very decentralized at the moment. So they're like little things happening kind of in different places. And I think that's going to go on for a while as I sort of figure things out. Um, but the immersive experience um, is a, well, I feel like I need to tell you the origin story of the experience. And it's pretty short because um, I had this dream forever and ever of like being in a room as a little kid playing drums on the floor and this it would conjure this whole parallel universe that had all these characters in it 
And my mom kept coming in and saying like, oh, it's dinner time, you know, you got to come. And I was, tr I, I couldn't explain to her that if I stopped drumming, this entire universe would die, right? Like it was somehow dependent on me playing this thing, right? So I'd always had this dream of like somehow creating an experience of that. And there, an opportunity arose through this gallery. Um, it's a long story, but um, Kim Gordon did also uh, an installation. It was such a magical like moment. It's right before COVID, right? Um, and so I made this installation that's basically an acoustic piano with some tech involved. And some of the notes will trigger imagery that decays in resonance with the note, right? Yeah. So the experience for the person, you don't need to know any music. So you're got like some of the keys have things on them and they're gray and you don't see any technology, you just see this beautiful acoustic piano. And if you go in there and play with it, you will leave having composed a completely unique film and compose the music to that film without even knowing it. And um, it's, it's, uh, it, it creates kind of an experience of synesthesia. Um, and it's just sitting there, you know, like basically uh, it got shut down with COVID and luckily the landlord of that gallery or whatever sort of let everything stay like it is. So we're just, we're doing it by invite only, but there's been some really exciting ideas. Like version two is really about incorporating imagery from all over the world and playing it. And part of the idea there is just that it's, you can't, you can't kind of weaponize a memory that way. When you share a, 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 like a piece, a sound with an image, it's not telling you what to think. It's literally a pure feeling. Mm -hmm. and when you yourself play that, something else happens. So I'm very interested in how powerful that experience has been for me and then for others and taking it further. Like in my mind, I see full symphonies that are playing the memories of the world in different places because you can, and I love acoustic instruments. Like I think it's very impossible. I mean, very, very, very uh, dangerous to throw away the baby with the bathwater because these old acoustic in instruments have a complexity that our synthetic ones really don't. Mm -hmm. You know, the amount of chaos in the way two strings vibrate next to each other is quantum level. You know, like I, I, I look at nature every day and I'm like, everything we're doing is cool, but like, and we are nature and we're everything that's growing is nature, including blockchain and all this technology. But these beautiful resonant old bodies of instruments are, are really incredible. And the idea that you could sort of trigger from that a result in multiple universes, whether it's in a metaverse, in a projection studio across the globe somewhere else through another projector like that's very interesting to me wow i'm so excited to check it out now if people are listening and want to connect with you or get more poe in their lives whether it be through music or technology what's the best place i guess to find all of that the moment i think i would just send an email to uh i mean the website you can certainly sign up is officialpo.com super super simple um specifically for an invite to see the piano uh you could you could also you know just subscribe no you should probably send an email to play at officialpo.com because the installation is called play so if you send it there then it's it's um it's right now by appointment only, but there's lots of appointments. So you just say, we want to come see it and we'll figure it out. That's awesome. I'm so excited to check it out. Yay, I'm dying for you to come. I think that you will enjoy it. I know that you will enjoy it for sure. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs>
well, thanks so much for a lovely conversation. As I said, I can't wait to keep building with you, keep having conversations, and whether we're making nurse coins or Detroit coins mm -hmm. or just doing good at the social justice magnet, I'm here for all of it. I'm so here for all of it, and you just say the word, and I'm in. I just love you. Are such a generous, beautiful human being, and I'm so moved by everything you're doing. And you're also just a super boss, badass, and you're just I don't know, like you're crazy. You're crazy. Oh well, thanks, Poe. Thanks, thanks so for much, Poe. Looking forward but to more inspiring conversations and building and in the future. I've mentioned before how we have an idea fountain um, group being that meets up okay. to skill share or time bank and support each other. Poe has joined that crew. If you want to be a part of it, let me know either on IG at the Idea Fountain or uh, you can also email me at the website and sign up for the newsletter juliepilot.co that's j-u-l-i-e-p-i-l-a-t.co thanks again for listening and have a good day